1969, police raided a gay bar in New York City called the Stonewall Inn. Fed up with police harassment, a riot broke out as members of the gay community clashed with law enforcement. The 1969 Stonewall Uprising is largely regarded as the beginning of the modern gay rights movement. But that movement goes back even further to something called the Mattachine Society. Established in Los Angeles in 1950, the Mattachine Society was an activist organization that advocated on behalf of the gay community. Although the society started on the West Coast, it eventually expanded nationally, gaining chapters all over the country. This national infrastructure, built by the Mattachine Society, proved vital for organizing the gay rights movement after the Stonewall Uprising. I sat down with Eric Marcus, creator and host of the Making Gay History podcast. In 1988, he was commissioned to write an oral history of the gay and lesbian civil rights movement. As part of that project, he interviewed a man named Hal Call, former president of the Mattachine Society and central figure of the gay rights movement. Hal Call was a colorful character who uses some vivid and explicit language in this segment. And when Eric arrived at Hal's office for the interview, Eric knew he was in for much more than he had bargained for. The original Mattachine was founded in 1950 by five men in Los Angeles, and many of them had come out of, uh, had been communists at one time. And it, it was a secret society, had to be. The times were such that it was very dangerous for people to be out. Hal Call objected to the secrecy of the organization. He's someone who used his real name. He didn't use a pseudonym. And he was concerned that if anyone found out that the people who, were, who had founded the organization, who were running the organization, were former communists, that it would cast a bad light on all gay people. So he led a coup against the founders of the Mattachine Society, and he took over the organization in 53, moved the headquarters to San Francisco. And the early founders were furious with him and accused him of turning their beloved Mattachine Society into essentially a sex club. And the accusation came from Chuck Rowland, who was one of the original founders, who was extremely upset to hear that Hal Call was showing porn films in the library of the Mattachine Society. But Hal Call's reason for doing that was to get the men out of the bushes and out of the bathroom so they weren't getting arrested. Hal's focus really, he was an early gay sexual liberationist, which explains why when I went to interview him in 1989, I had to go to the porn theater that he owned and ran <laughs> to interview him. And what happened when you showed up? Well, I did two interviews with Hal, and I, I don't know, people probably assume that all gay men go to porn theaters. I had never been to a gay porn theater in my life. I was 30 years old. And so to get to Hal's office, I had to go into this porn theater called the Circle J. You can fill in the, fill in the rest of that. And I walked in, and there I was in the back of the theater, and it had pews instead of seats, I guess, for so people can have easy access to each other. And there was a porn film on the screen. And I went upstairs to the office, and there was Hal. There's a big bank of video monitors showing lots of porn films and a white Naga Heights sofa and shelves filled with... Was it, was it authentic Naga <laughs> I didn't check the label, Brian. All right. We'll let you go on that one. <laughs> I was a little rattled already. I can imagine. It was the second interview with Hal that was a real surprise because I arrived at his office, so I already knew what to expect walking through the porn theater, but I got to his office and... There was Hal sitting on the sofa with a white shirt and black shoes and black socks and no pants. Hmm. And on the table in front of us, on the cocktail table, 
was a bottle of lube and a towel. And next to Hal was a video camera pointed in the direction of where I would be sitting on the couch. Hmm. So Hal had gotten confused and thought I had come there for, to be taped for one of his, his jack-off films. So let me ask the million-dollar question, what made Hal so different? Why was he willing to be open? This, this obviously had huge implications for gays who would follow in his footsteps, and obviously at the time, but what made him different? Among many of the people I interviewed, they said they knew from the start there was nothing wrong with them, that it was society that was wrong. Hal was more extreme in that, in that he, didn't, he really didn't care what anyone else thought. At a time when people thought a lot of very negative things about gay people, he had moved to San Francisco. He started out as a journalist, mm-hmm. who had gotten in trouble in Kansas City because he had been found in a car with two other guys and then fired from his job. So this happened to a lot of people I interviewed who became activists. Something bad happened to them, and they lost their job or they lost their family, and they had nothing else to lose, and they were angry. And they were radicalized. So Hal is somebody who took a leading role because of who he was and because of what his experiences were. You know, if he had been a straight guy, he would probably have gone on to be an editor at the Kansas City Star and we wouldn't know who he was. Instead, he had this very colorful career as a a leading gay rights activist and um, um, and a pornographer. There was a point at which uh, you were arrested in 52. August, yes. I was in a, uh, a very small automobile. It was a not re- it was two seater, but it was a, one, a two door, two seater uh, Chevrolet or something. Parked uh, at about one thirty in the morning, uh, uh, about fifty feet from the uh, police station in Lincoln Park in Chicago. How many people were there in the car? There were four of us. Uh-huh. We had gone from a gay bar. They were going to drive me home, but they stopped in the park. By as soon as the ignition in the car was turned off, they were flashing lights on us. Three of them thought that. Uh, uh, if they made accusations, uh, it would let them get off scot-free, and it would uh, put the onus of guilt on uh, another person. Well, those three knew each other, and I didn't know them, and they thought they'd walk off scot-free, but they got busted too. See, all four of us did. And the attorney that uh, we got, uh, he was in with the system, and uh, at that time, 1952, $800 bought off the... Uh, arresting officer, officers, and uh, the judge, and, the, and included the attorney, attorney's fees so that one court appearance uh, brought a dismissal. There was no conviction. Mm-hmm. To be accused was to be guilty. And at that time, I was uh, dumb enough that I didn't uh, see that there was any harm in telling my uh, supervisor in the Kansas City Star what had happened. He said, well, you can, we can't have anybody like that working for the Kansas City Star. And I said, well, uh, that's maybe so okay. But uh, I said, <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you fired all the homosexuals on the Kansas City Star, you wouldn't get the newspaper out. I told him that. I mean, you couldn't even set the linotype <laughs> at, the day, at the time. <laughs> I decided then that instead of going where the job took me, I was going to go where I wanted to and find my own career. So my lover and I... Uh, drove from to uh, San Francisco with all of our possessions, and I've been here since. In February 1953, I heard that something called the Mattachine Society out of Los Angeles was having 
meetings and discussion forums in Berkeley near the UC, University of California campus. And they were getting together to figure out things they could do to help resist this awful thing that we had to face. And that was uh, cops that were chasing us and playing cat and mouse with us all the time and at will. So you became deeply involved in Mattachine yes, very early on. It was first a secret organization. Why did it have to be secret? That came about because of fear. Uh, the core of it was a secret organization, and Senator Joseph McCarthy in Washington, D.C., was going around, you know, with a handful of names and addresses of so many people that were in the Senate or in the government in Washington, and these are homosexuals and these are communists. And he was going, he was, he was putting the fear of God among homosexuals and among uh, all kinds of people and having lots of time on uh, television and, and the like and equating the condition of homosexuality with communism. And of course, communis communism at that time was, a, 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 was an ogre, was a, a, a specter, or a, a demon that uh, we can't even imagine today. So, that was we knew that some of the founders of the Mattachine movement, or the inner circle of the Mattachine uh, uh, foundation, had, had been rumored to have some communist leanings and maybe connections elsewhere particularly one or two of them, Chuck Rowland and another man. Uh, and those were among the six or seven people who founded the Mattachine Foundation along with Harry Hay. We met in 1953 in Los Angeles at 8th and Crenshaw. We had two meetings there and uh, uh, a month apart. And on the second meeting, we were sort of took it out of their hands. We were getting, had the bit in our teeth of it, and we were running away with it almost. How 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 are you doing that? Was it your, your ideas different from theirs? Or? No, we wanted to see it become a foundation, or become an organization, and expand and spread. But we wanted to know who was who in it, what our backgrounds were, so that we couldn't find that uh, we had a, a a person in our midst who was going to be who could be, uh, uh, let's say, revealed uh, with some kind of ulterior motives and so on, and and. You know, and disgrace us all. A communist, for example. Yes. A communist influence. Communist was the fear. And several of you disagreed in terms of the philosophy of, of the organization. We did. Can you tell me what, what that was about? I felt that the foundation people were sort of uh, pie in the sky, erudite, erudite and artistic, uh, artistically inclined. Uh, Harry Hay, you could never talk to him very long that he didn't go back, way back in history generations and centuries to the Burdash or to some ancient Egyptian uh, cult or something of that sort. And he was always making Mattachine and the homosexual of today uh, a, a parallel to some of those things that were uh, in his studies and research. We saw the need for Mattachine as a here and now practical thing because we were a group of cocksuckers in the society that the police were chasing and they were just, uh, assassinating character at will and causing all kinds of mischief and expense and, uh, and damage to us as individuals. Uh, and uh, we wanted to see changes brought about, changes in law, uh, changes in public attitudes, uh, research and education done. We were wanting to see those goals achieved and by evolutionary methods, not revolutionary methods. So you weren't, your plan wasn't to go out and uh, lead protests? No. Or, or, not at all, not at all. We wanted to see it done by uh, holding conferences and discussions and uh, being, becoming subjects for research and telling our story and letting people uh, uh, in the academic and, uh, and science, uh, or behavioral science world 
get the word out about these realities because we were so goddamn dumb as a people about the realities of human sexuality. Early in our days, we had our, the Mattachine phone number in our telephone book here in the city of San Francisco. And uh, it wasn't long before the police knew about us because through, the, through gay bars uh, that we had uh, in San Francisco back then, not as many by any means as we have now, but we, we had maybe a eight or 10 gay bars in 1950, uh, 1953. And uh, the cops were making arrests there and then we were getting calls from a lot of the people they busted to uh, arrange for an attorney and even to arrange for a bail bondsman and things like that. Mattachine was doing those things in those early days. Uh, and so the cops found out there was a Mattachine Society, a, a, a group that, uh, of queers that was uh, daring to stand up and work on behalf of other queers the police were busting. And the courts and all found it out, and the attorneys found it out, bail bondsmen knew it, and so on. That started the spread of knowledge of the existence of Mattachine in San Francisco. There was a statement that I read, and I'm not sure I understood it. It said, uh, Mattachine urged homosexuals to adjust to a pattern of behavior that is acceptable to society in general <laughs> and compatible with the recognized institutions of home, church, and state. We what did. did. What did you mean by that? I'm not sure I understand that. We knew that uh, if we were going to get along in society, it was our feeling at the time, we were going to have to stay in step with the existing and predominant mores and customs of our major society and not stand out as uh, sore thumbs too much because we, had, we didn't have the strength of tissue paper to descend ourselves. Keep your sex life very much to yourself, very much in private. And it also meant don't go wearing your heart on your sleeve. We didn't have sex symbols and gay flags and, uh, and those kind of things. Wouldn't dare have hold hands on the street. And you couldn't even put your hand on another person's shoulder in a gay bar without it being lewd conduct. We had drag, people in drag that uh, would come out on Halloween where they, where they they knew better, but they dared to do it. They knew their chances were that they were going to be busted, and the cops could do any damn thing they wanted and chase us around like little quail out in the out in the brush, you know. Where all we had to do was run and hide. So you were encouraging people, you were advising people in a way to help them avoid getting arrested. Help avoid getting in trouble, mm -hmm. because if you got arrested and your name got in the paper, you're going to lose a job if you had one. And at the, in those days, the examiner printed in bold type on the front page, the names of every gay person arrested, his age, his address, his marital status, his employment status, and his professional status, if any. When those things happened, divorces, suicides, uh, wrecked careers, the loss of, uh, of rental uh, spaces where you were living, and all kinds of, and the loss of credit and, and all kinds of things uh, resulted from it. By today's standards, we were a bunch of uh, limp-wrist pussyfoots. But yet for us in those days, we were out of the closet and it was a very courageous thing because there were not very many of, you, of us there. Eric Marcus is the creator and host of the Making Gay History podcast, which brings the voices of queer history to life through intimate conversations with LGBTQ champions, heroes, and witnesses to history. 